Good evening, and welcome to episode 64 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight, our panellists include 2015 regional champion and 2015 Australian Nationals top 8 competitor, Wilfie Horrig. Hi. 2014 Australian National champion and 2014 World's top 16 competitor, Jesse Marshall. Hello. 2015 regional top 8 competitor, Hollis Echo. Good morning, good morning. And I'm your host, Brian Holland. Uh, so we're going to open with a question from uh, Abby, who is a listener who we had on the show quite a long long while ago as a special guest. And she asks, I'm wondering how much of deck building and strategizing is about what you are going to do and how much do you think about what your opponent is going to do and how does this affect both your deck and your play style? So a very interesting question. Thoughts, guys? Well, it's essentially, I think, what Abby's trying to get at there is how much does the metagame affect your decks in terms of how you construct them but also your deck choice for any tournament. Uh, and I think the answer for me to that question is quite significantly. Uh, it's very important to be aware of what the popular decks are at any particular time. If there are strategies that are particularly powerful, being, having cards in your deck um, or playing a deck that is able to interact with those strategies reasonably profitably is very important on both sides. Uh, and I think that's yeah an important part of constructing a deck, but also an important part of choosing what deck to play. I would say that often when I go into my deck building choices, um, you know, going into like a, a larger tournament, uh, I'm 100% on Jesse's page, um, you know, on the same page as Jesse. Basically, really, it really comes down to being very aware of the decks you're going to encounter, or at least the most common archetypes you're going to encounter. And nine times out of ten, you're going to need to make some sort of adjustment, uh, even if it's just small, uh, a small one, to sort of make sure that your matchups are pretty are pretty well balanced across the board there for the common archetypes you'll, you'll uh, common archetypes you'll see during the tournament. However, I think we're moving slowly into this odd space in the current meta where you're going to find that some of the decks that are played are kind of just good regardless of any meta cards that you know, people can place their decks against you. And so you'll you'll see for a lot of these archetypes that are that are uh, pretty popular now you can play them as they are without many meta tweaks and they're still going to perform very well regardless. I think uh, being aware of, of what cards hose you is also really important. So if you're playing a fast advanced NBN deck, if you're playing fa- fast robotics, being aware of what clot does and how to interact with it is important and that comes into play testing so you know where your windows are to score once clot is on the table, all of that. Um, so you're well-versed playing against the things that you expect to play, even if it's not an archetype, if it's a, a hoser. But also being aware of its existence helps you to um, value things, like value your own answers. So Cyberdex Virus Suite, if you think Clot hoses you sort of reasonably hard and it makes it you know, 60 to 70% harder to score your agendas, playing a Virus Suite tilts that back in your favor. You might decide that it's worth the card slot. Um, and that logic holds for a vast array of different choices that you make in deck building where you're deciding, am I going to play answers or cards that are um, specifically tailored to the metagame or to beating a particular archetype or dealing with a particular other card? Or am I going to play cards that synergize with my deck more broadly? And that choice has become a lot harder as the card pool's grown. Initially, um, you sort of had a suite of cards that were the best criminal cards, the best shaper cards, you know, the best things that supporting the best identities. Um, But as the card pool's growing, there's a lot more choices and a lot more things that are viable. So deck building is a lot more interesting. How important do we think it is to 
pay heed to cards like the silver bullets because I know another thing that's really important is to also get a read on the meta that you're expecting. I know for a while uh, in our meta, this is a while ago, uh, myself and Wolfie just really didn't play Plastic Carapace because uh, there was there was a period at least around here where not a lot of Scorch was going around. Um, do you think that most people should pay heed to those kind of cards and play the silver bullets like Clot and like Cyberdex Virus Suite, like Plastic Carapace? regardless of what they think their meta is going to look like, or should they just come prepared for, for anything? Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's reasonable at this point to call Cyberdex or cards like Cyberdex silver bullets because they're good in many more situations than just one. Like, obviously, people say that they're anti-clot, but, of course, it's just... Often, it's a good card to have in your deck in many situations, but, like, things like clot or carapace or film critic, which literally don't do anything to advance your game plan unless uh you face the specific uh threat that it's they're trying to answer basically like basically they don't do anything else um it can be a bit um uncertain as to whether it's good to put them in your deck and i think abram in the episode that he came on uh whichever one that was it was quite recently said that he likes the strategy of not playing silver bullets to begin with so not putting any silver bullets in your deck and then from that from playtesting without silver bullets working out which silver bullets you need in order to not lose in a certain situation since the the range of usefulness is so narrow compared to other cards they're either extremely good in a certain situation or extremely bad in a certain situation which makes them not only one really hard to test like if you just play a regular tournament if you yeah if you play a random tournament for testing purposes and your silver bullet that you added into your deck was not good that doesn't mean that it's not going to be good in general because it's possible that you just didn't face the matchup where it would be useful and it's only through playing that matchup that you can learn whether the silver bullet is really necessary to your game plan and so that means that they're innately tied or innately interlinked with the metagame because their usefulness is unlike regular cards or cards which are more generally useful they're only useful when the metagame shifts in a certain way such that they become essential to your deck's functioning or to your deck's protection against a certain type of strategy so unlike regular cards where you know you might have a core um, part of your deck and then tweak around some other cards based on their functionality here with silver bullets you're tweaking your deck based on the functionality of the other decks that you're trying to face against so which is a much harder thing to do and it raises all sorts of confirmation bias issues as well i think um because you're less likely to remember the games where your film critic did nothing and you just discarded it and you're more likely to remember the game where you stole the napd that was really important using your film critic or sorry added the napd to your score area using your film critic um however i am probably on the other side of this to you, Wilfie, because I think I'm far more likely to play those silver bullets, and I'm not. I don't think that's necessarily right. I think it's just interesting that people can have very different attitudes to it. I generally, um, like in my K deck at the moment that I'm playing, for example, I have Clot plus Crete and Film Critic, um, and that I, I quite like that. 
but then I played a game deck recently at a um, just a game night kit tournament and I only had one barrier breaker Corroda which is and no recursion which meant that if I took damage and lost it I wasn't getting past any barriers didn't have I only had one Plascrete didn't have Film Critic didn't have um, any clot and was just relying on the power of the core criminal cards to win games and I won all my games with that deck um, so I think yeah that shows that you can there can be a lot of power in letting go of those crutches of the the answers and the silver bullets but it can also be good to have them in your deck and it's a really hard thing to um uh quantify how how good those things are are, actually are in your deck yeah i think it's important for people to acknowledge their results oriented thinking um there's a lot of times when i've been playing with the decks like like my argus deck which um like the argus deck that we played for a long time, which uh, can be hosed very easily by a card like Film Critic. And I remember I was playing against somebody, and they were saying, "Oh man, I would have won that game if I had Film Critic in my deck." But you could say, you could say that about literally probably any card at some point. Wow, if only I had card X, I would have won that. And it's really important to acknowledge that while some of these cards are very good in some instances, they do do nothing in in other instances. And I think it's fine to be on either side. Hollis, how do you feel about it? Uh, in the case like you mentioned where you have uh, you're dealing with an idea like Argus um, and again when we're looking at something more like on the Netrunner World Championship or Nationals Championship right a lot of times you're going to put in those silver bullets like that because you want to make sure that you're not going to have an extremely I guess slanted or I guess uh, off scale like lose rate versus an ID that you you don't have a lot of experience with as the example of Argus um, if I'm if I'm pretty well trained with my runner deck, um, but kill decks like an Argus deck aren't as common, I may not have play tested much against it. So the question I would be asking myself as you know that particular player, um, you know, how how comfortable I am in that matchup. In addition to knowing the current meta, it's all about it's also about knowing how comfortable you are with the cards that you're playing in the deck. So. If I'm very comfortable playing against a matchup like Argus, maybe I don't need, uh, I don't have such a reliance on cards like Plascrete or like Film Critic that would hose that would hose that kind of matchup normally. Um, whereas if it's an idea I don't normally practice against, if, if I've if it's not common, I've seen Argus, a single card like Film Critic or Plascrete actually helps shore up some uh, difficulties you're going to encounter just from lack of experience of piloting against that particular archetype. Um, so. No, I mean, basically, I think I think that there's you know you, you have two different avenues there as far as um, like the idea behind silver bullets. You have one that says universally I feel safer with this in my deck because it's just there, even though it may be useless in some encounters or I guess in some against some archetypes. And then you also have like the the difficulty with the familiarity on the ID that you're facing. I don't play much against Argus or against Shinteki uh, Personal Evolution, so these cards help shore up. Um, I guess, really a lack of understanding on how to approach playing these archetypes. Yeah, I think with analyzing silver bullets, we've spoken about probably the more commonly played ones, but there are a lot of others in the game as well. And what distinguishes Clot, Plascrete, and Film Critic is that they're good against commonly played um, cards and strategies. Uh, Clot and... uh, Sorry, um, Film Critic is good against... A variety of different ones. It's good against, as you mentioned, Hollis, Personal Evolution, Argus, Harpsichord, um, and any deck that's trying to mid-seasons you. 
as well as NAPD, whatever deck it's in, and the Future Perfect, whatever deck it's in, which is a, a large chunk of the metagame, albeit not everything. Uh, Clot and Plascrete are very good and very efficient at dealing with commonly other commonly played cards being Scorched Earth and Fast Advance cards, Astro, Biotic, Labor, and Sansa City Grid. Whereas, um, and I think it's what, what's important there is the efficiency and how well they deal with it. Whereas something like Caprice is very widely played, uh, very powerful, and a lot of people get frustrated with how oppressive it feels to them as runners. But nobody plays the answer to it, which is um, unregistered S and W, whatever it is. Fuck, what's it called? Oh, f- yeah, that's, the one that's that what it's des- called. Destroys a clone or something. Unregistered S and W thirty five because it's really inefficient. It only deals with it in some situations where it's rezzed anyway, um, and it's not good in any other situation. But the Caprice is good enough that I guarantee you a large section of those of you listening will have considered putting it in your deck recently because Caprice has been so widespread in food coats. Um, But the reason that you wouldn't have is that it's not efficient enough and it's not good enough at actually answering the card it's trying to answer. So we have Store Champs season starting in, I think, February, late January, early February. Um, pretty exciting time after the little sort of funk that we have post-Worlds, post-Nationals in our individual countries. Uh, how are you guys feeling about it? Hollis, what are you going to be taking to your first one? Uh, I know that there's a lot of buzz right now, thanks again to uh, Mr. Stephen Woolley uh, uh, for Wizard. And I think that Wizard's in a very cool, unique space. Like, you know, it normally ends up being whenever the meta shifts again to more glacier style decks. Um, 45 card deck size, you've got a fair amount of Econ, you've got Fixies, and then you, you sprinkle in something like Ice Carver, which is, you know, a, a classic throwback that we haven't seen in decks in a long time. Um, throwback in, you know, Data Sucker. Uh, you get some pretty efficient breakers, you get really cheap ways to trash things, and it helps that matchup very much versus Food Coats. Um, so that's what I've been looking at more, uh, more so with Runner now than anything else. On the Corp side, you know, you've got Food Coats. Uh, I really am... I really am more of a fan, I think, still of uh, the harpsichord decks, um, the ones that do a combination of you know kill combos as well as like they can score out. But I've seen a few other archetypes pop up that are really successful and popular that um, you kind of have to be aware of and need to practice against. But uh, for me, those are my two. What about you, Wolfie? Uh, I like on the runner side the david or david tactical rider prepaid deck uh, i believe it's called the book of kate i think the original or maybe not original designer but uh it's now been christened that um which is you you know plays all the regular prepaid tools and david gives it a bit more reach against food coats than it otherwise would be since with cvs being so popular or virus suite being so popular um, data Sucker Parasite is a lot less useful and Parasite in general is, uh, is a lot worse when you're not facing pop-up windows and um, other zero strength or when you're not facing pop-up windows wraparounds or other things of that nature and are instead facing down Ichi 2s which uh, die to Parasite very very slowly and so I think that's been a really good shift in prepaid lists to include that strategy although technical rider does make you a little worse against the more the decks that try and kill you quicker since it pays off a bit more slowly but i think that's change that's a change that is a good idea at the moment since food coats is the dominant corp deck and on the corp side i will be playing this industrial genomics deck that 
foreshadowing we will talk about very soon. Wait, uh, is that now? Yeah, let's have it be now. Oh, oh well, okay. briefly, we let's talk. just just it's a good way for Jesse and I to avoid having to say what we're going to play because maybe we don't know. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> At least around the Melbourne meta, Wilfie, we've been referring to the genomics deck you've been playing as um, uh, IT Department 2.0 for those of uh, our listeners who remember that debacle. Uh, so uh, explain to us uh, what similarities, if any, these those two decks have, and then get into the actual tech. Oh sure. Uh, so this is a very, very, very slow, um, sort of grindy control deck that tries to establish early defenses, um, get some asset, early operation economy, and set up asset economy using the industrial genomics ability to make trashing asset economy really bad for the runner, at least when it's relevant, that is, in the early game, and eventually set up a Caprice Batty mega server um, and score out usually a vanity project and another 5 for 3. And so I did some videos with this deck. Uh, You may or may not have watched them. If you're interested, the links will be in the show notes. YouTube.com slash The Winning Agenda is our channel. They should all subscribe. Yes, you should definitely subscribe. But anyway, um, so the deck, what should I talk about first? Um, hmm. Talk about the inception of the deck. What, oh, sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, that, that would probably be a good idea. It, it was a deck that was given to us by one of our Patreon supporters who said, hey, I've been working on this uh, industrial genomics, very slow deck with vanity project uh, enhanced login protocol as sort of the core engine and the same sort of lots of cards more than 49 cards and the slow build up to a upgrade a strongly defended uh, mega server mega remote rather um, and so I played that a little bit tweaked it oh, a bit to make the overall goal a bit more focused so instead of playing cards like snare which are quite strong because you know your opponent can access them and then they might not be able to trash them i replaced them with just more economy more operation economy and more things that didn't require the opponent to need to access your cards to be effective because having vanity project in your deck as i'm sure any of you know who have played with vanity project before makes giving your opponent free access is possibly very very dangerous and so to mitigate that we have of course jackson to try and shuffle it away and also trying to build a um remote as soon as possible that can at least house the vanity project if jackson can't deal with it another way Uh, and so the ice is uh, the main before i go into the ice i will just say that the main concept of the deck that lends its the main concept of the deck that makes it effective is that industrial genomics wants cards that are kind of polarized in use so they're very good in some situations but it's okay if they're not good in other situations because they just drawing and discarding cards by them by itself fuels your economy and so by using things like caprice and batty which are useless early game but enable you to actually win late game or ice which is very expensive so most of the time you won't be able to res multiple pieces but also very card efficient that sort of strategy in itself allows the deck to build its resources in an 
in a way which makes sense. So by making your default action to draw cards instead of to gain credits, it allows you to dump cards you don't want into archives while still finding single cards which are effective enough by themselves that you can play not too many cards and still have secure servers. So like Ashigaru, Assassin, at Crick, Eli, Tollbooth, and Cortex Lock, especially Cortex Lock is very good nowadays since there are many decks that don't even fill up on memory even when you go to the late game. Um, those That sort of ice suite lets you secure your servers using only few cards but very um, card-efficient tools. Yeah, so those ice that you mentioned there, particularly, I guess, Ashigaru, Assassin, and Crick, are really efficient at what they do in terms of keeping the runner out compared to how much they cost or or doing what they want to do compared to how much they cost. And Cortex Lock and Eli are also hyper-efficient. How have you found the ice suite? I know when I've played against the deck... I'm often quite frustrated about how much it costs me to get accesses compared to how much it costs you to be resing these ice. That's sort of where you want to be as the club, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so that's the main goal, which makes the best cards against it the ice destruction tools since a parasite on Nashigaru will always tick down. And this is kind of the problem with Jinteki ice in general, but not one that we can really fix simply, is that... Um, you know, you can't protect all three of your servers as for an infinite amount of time because at some point the runner is going to get a rig which is very efficient um, with data suckers between data suckers and admins and other sort of tools that don't really depend on credits or fausts temporarily fausts and uh, cutlery. Uh, all of those things can deal with ice, big ice, as easily as small ice. But if you're just using regular breakers, then it can be very difficult. And that's one of the strengths of the deck is that um, it's strong against decks that, yeah, that kind of would just be tautological. So yeah, I I think that answered the question. Yeah, you've recently um, included anonymous tip. I think instead of the um, enhanced login protocols, can you talk us through? I mean, does that come from your wanting to turn your default action into drawing cards? An anonymous tip does that pretty efficiently. Oh, yeah, finding an anonymous tip, a card which has mostly been dormant since the core set in many people's eyes, was a bit of a revelation. Uh, the deck originally started with Enhanced Login Protocol, but the problem is that against uh, Data Leak Reversal decks or just generally prepaid decks in general, they only ran... Because your ice was so efficient, they could only afford to run if it was multi-access, so they that those two things kind of worked across purposes that you're na- you naturally wanted your opponent to wait and build just because it was really hard to get in and so they wanted to multi-access and so when they multi-accessed your ELP turned off very quickly and so there weren't really that many decks where they wanted to run a lot against you anyway where ELP was good so I turned them into anonymous tips um, which is a really good card just because it allows you to start setting up your uh, health clinics, launch campaigns, and pad campaigns, the asset economy, starting from turn one or turn two. Like, if you anonymous tip on turn one and you can ditch a shock into archives, then your opponent can, if they want, spend the whole turn, one, run archives, take a damage from the shock, two, run your health clinic, but then they're down to no resources and they probably can't do anything else this turn, which is a lot worse for them than if they can just start trashing your health clinics and pad campaigns your asset economy 
immediately without uh, you getting ever getting to the point early game where you can actually start discarding cards to make their runs, to make their trashes a lot more. So basically, Anonymous Tip is kind of the Kickstarter in the early game that you need to get your ability online and make sure that the asset economy can start ticking as soon as possible, which is very important for the operation of the resource base. And of course, in the mid to late game, it helps you find Nisei's baddies, or it helps you find Caprice's baddies and agendas as you want them. Just quickly, Wilfie, uh, I know that some people will be wondering, uh, I mean, apart from obvious, obviously influence constraints and deck size constraints, uh, why you haven't found space for Space Camp. A lot of people really like that card in this deck. Could you just explain your reasoning as to why you didn't want to play it? Oh, yeah. So Space Camp has a similar problem to... Uh, Snare. Snare, yeah, in that it requires the runner to... Unless you dump it in archives, which is, of course, the best use of the card. If if you want it to trigger somewhere else, then it has to... Your opponent has to be able to access your servers. And, but more importantly is that it comes with, with its own constraints in that you need to play June Bugs, Ro, uh, Ronins, or Advanceable Ice and tricks, Trick of Lights to turn those advancement counters into something actually relevant, and which I think uh, is done very well in the Industrial Graveyard deck by uh, Chris Hinks, which is a kind of evolution of the Cambridge PA deck, which uses those kind of net damage traps to gain advantage, but this deck kind of does the opposite thing to that in that you're not really trying to whittle down your opponent's resources by having them access traps or having to check things to make sure that they're not Ronin, but instead you're trying to um, slowly build an impenetrable remote server before your opponent can do anything about it. Sounds good. Hollis, do you have any questions before we wrap up? Looking at your econ package, I always like looking at like the very specific things that I, I did pick, and I apologize, but, but looking at the econ package, I'm noticing you're running Medical Research Fundraiser. So is there a reason why in this particular instance this option was chosen over Restructure? Is it just that the barrier to play the card is much lower? I, th- I, would, I would assume that because the deck you know, can, of course, super tax the runner in trashing the assets uh, and, and upgrades that are available, that you would basically want to prevent giving them additional economy to accomplish that task. On top of you know you exacerbating that issue that they're going to encounter by you know facing industrial genomics, um, what was the reasoning there? I guess in choosing that over something like restructure. Yeah, I know in the I know in the past, Wilfie, when you've played that card in PE, you said that that um, it was very good when you don't care how much money your opponent has. So is it the same reasoning or? Uh, no, it's definitely not a perfect fit, and it was actually the last Operation Economy card that I added. I'm still tinkering with that slot; it still might become re- uh, restructure. But the problem is that if they siphon you and you have restructure in your hand, it so it's so awful you put, potentially can lose the game on the spot. Whereas if you have fundraiser, then you can recover from si- single siphon, double siphon turns, which gives you some because of course their game plan is always going to be to to land one or more siphons. Um, whether they're aggressive criminals or DLR decks, in or because that's the most the best card, the best thing that you can do against decks with enormous ice and not that much money to res them. And so, re- research fundraiser lets you um, recover from account siphon without have you having to draw it before they play their siphon, uh, which can be a bit of an issue. But it still might be a restructure. Um, tune in later and 
it might have switched. Very good. We look forward to seeing uh, the, the further fruits of this particular deck come store champ season. Uh, are you going to put another plaque on your wall, or are they just all in a pile being used as coasters by your bedside table? Uh, actually, yeah, they're all, they are all in a pile, but I don't use them as coasters. Uh, we'll post the photo of them as a companion. Very good. <laughs> um, in the meantime, guys, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at winningagenda, and you can go check us out on Facebook. Our page is The Winning Agenda. Until next Monday, we'll be here every week. So stay tuned, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, thanks again, everyone, for joining us.